0: Tuning you in now
1: to the LBX Daily Show.
0: Brought to you by the LBX Collective,
1: your community to connect, engage, and inspire. Now,
0: let's get ready to roll
1: with your hosts, Christine Viewer and Brandon Wiley. All right. Welcome to the Daily Show, everybody.
0: Hello, everyone. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> It's bad.
1: Yeah, <laughs> we're right. just gonna we're just gonna pretend that your video is is no problems at all, and we'll just listen to your audio.
0: All right, sounds good, and maybe it'll adjust itself. <laughs> That's so challenging technology, you know. Anyway, you know what? Something else that is really hard actually is staying in character under pressure. And a few weeks ago, when we launched our first The Reveal podcast with Glenn Street, who has a mascot company here in Calgary. Um, And they design mascots, actually, for sports teams and entertainment venues all around the world. But during our conversation with Glenn, he addressed how important it is to hire the right person and train them to be a mascot. So don't just shove your least favorite employee in the costume and hope for the best, right? So this story is about Eeyore, an Eeyore mascot performer from Tokyo Disneyland, who stayed in character during the January 1st earthquake that happened there. And it really caught my attention. So on Monday, a massive earthquake rocked Japan, as we've all heard, right? Lots of tsunami warnings, all that fun stuff. It was actually one of the strongest quakes they've had in uh, recorded in a couple of decades, actually. So it was a magnitude of 7.5, which is pretty big for them. And if you recall, um, my gosh, how many years ago was it when we had the big one that caused the nuclear meltdown? That one was a magnitude of nine. So not too far off of that one, right? Yeah. Um, I think it was over 10 big. years ago
1: now at this point. Yeah.
0: Yeah right? Holy moly. So anyway, an announcement went out at Tokyo Disney that guests needed to prepare for a strong quake. So they were told to kind of crouch down and brace themselves on the ground. Anyway, this performer who was dressed up in Eeyore at the time uh, was really brave amid all the chaos and he attempted to calm visitors down while kind of bobbing up and down using his hands, reminding people to stay calm. One of the visitors actually caught this on film. So I thought it'd be really fun to kind of take a peek at it. So let me bring this up onto stage. Oh, I. Hey, let's go.
1: See everybody crouched down now at this point. It must be either happening or already happened. I'm not really
0: sure. so i'm not sure if that's coming through clearly or not but it's saying attention prepare for a strong earthquake anyway i thought it was pretty cool kudos to this guy and or this whoever's in the costume actually pardon me for this actor for maintaining calm you know helping the guests distracting them from a panicky situation providing a really consistent experience still in his mascot or still in their mascot, helping people follow emergency protocols, you know, and then really honestly creating memories for a a really traumatic experience that happened in the park. I'm sure there was tons of people saying, Oh my gosh, remember Eeyore there and he was helping to calm us down and keep us cool. And obviously this guest cost caught him on film and, uh, was able to recreate and show off the, uh, what had happened to the world. So cool, cool example, how to maintain composure in a challenging moment.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, All right. Well, so we've got Pinstripes. We've all probably heard of them, maybe been to a Pinstripes at this point. They have 13 locations across nine states. They're ramping up pretty aggressively to get to 23 by the end of this year, but they just recently went public through a SPAC process on December 27th. So they they are now a public company. They're Stock ticker is PNST, so you know Pinstripes, pretty straightforward t- ticker symbol. And they through the through the SPAC process raised seventy million dollars. Now I think at least the, the one thing I've been able to verify because they also they they did this merger with Banyan, which is a. Uh, special acquisition corporation. So how many of you are familiar with SPACs, but it's basically a publicly traded shell company and they raise funds from investors and then they use those funds from investors to invest in a privately held company. And by doing that, they take a majority stake in that privately held company and then thereby take that company public as a result. So it's basically a special purpose acquisition vehicle. That's what the SPAC system. That's what the SPAC uh, process is. Uh, so they they raised 70 million, but I think t- only 20 million of that is actually was used from equity. The other 50 million lo- is a loan that comes from Oak tree Capital management. and then they have another 40 million or so that pinstripes can use for development in the coming years if they're meeting certain requirements so they meet certain thresholds. So anyway, just another company to keep an eye on, they specialize in bowling and bocce ball and then elevated food and beverage. So just another one of those competitive social, you know, or social entertainment venues.
0: Yeah. Pinstripes is pretty awesome. Their are um, the quality of their food, their alcohol selection and their inside of their facilities is pretty um, it's really well done actually. Yeah. They're yeah.
1: Yeah. They, they just really do well, like their, their indoor outdoor feel like Pinstripes just does a good job. And so it's great to see them continuing to have success with lots of capital to continue to grow.
0: And so this capital that they raise, are they, is this just to develop new locations? And was there any indication as to where they're going to be focused on that?
1: No, I I mean, there's no indication yet at this point where their new locations are, but they are planning to add 10 more locations this year still. And so that capital is used to drive the expansion. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep. Holy moly. Well, there's a Prince Stripes coming into a location near you probably this year. (laughs) That's awesome. And congratulations to them. All right. Well, let's transition to talking about fun marketing and facial recognition apps. So I found this kind of cool app that Burger King had done, and I thought it would be really fun to share with you guys. So what they've done, this is Burger King Brazil. They created a promotion around facial recognition software that provides discounts based on how hungover you are, (laughs) which is so interesting. It's called the Hangover Whopper campaign. And the facial recognition app Scans your face to determine the degree of your hangover, and then it suggests a food combo based on that, on your current state, what you look like, and then it gives you a discount on that combo. So I thought it was really kind of interesting, and I have a little video here that we can watch of this. Quickly, uh, bear with me as I pull this onto the screen, and we'll take a look at how it works.
1: I'm, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure that when Apple and Google developed their facial recognition, they're really excited to use it for (laughs) hangover, hangover evaluations. So
0: I feel like that was definitely on the list for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, Okay. Here, take a look
1: at the end of the year. It's Friday every day and the hangover kicks in BK presents hangover whopper, a technology that scans your hangover level and offers a discount on the ideal combo to help combat. Download the BK app, take the test, and share it on social media. Now available for year-end parties and for those other occasions where the hangover strikes.
0: (laughs) Anyhow, (laughs) Um, I thought it was really well done and cute. It is. It's so cute. Okay, because here's the thing um, it's personalized and it's creative and it's just a fun app, right? Now, if you want to try it out, you can go to hangoverwhopper.com.br. So BR for Brazil. I went and I did it and I took a picture of myself online. I wasn't hungover when I did this though, but I wanted to see what would happen. It scanned my face and gave me a picture that I could use actually to post on social media. And then it recommended that I should have a double Whopper junior combo. And it gave me a $3 discount with kind of a a coupon code that I could use when I went to get my whopper. (laughs) So super fun, right? Now, um, I think that an app like this is probably out of most centers budgets, but I think it's super creative. And I wonder if any FBCs, LBEs out there are utilizing personalized promotions like this to promote their centers and uh, what You know, different things that they're doing in their centers. I'd love to hear from you guys if you are.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think personalized promotions, probably or maybe, but the facial recognition component is where it probably gets a little bit expensive. At the same time, you could probably just fake it as well. Like I'm sure that people are not like going on with real hangovers. They're just going on and like making a face and then like scanning their face and getting a discount. It's just a funny way to promote it. And you know, it's it's creative. I will say one of the first times I had a hangover that I could remember was over 15 years ago, at this point, and uh, we went to Burger King the next morning, and I absolutely oh. did not want to have any of it. So I think that the like the like the last thing I want with a hangover is to go and eat Burger King. But hey, whatever. They're they've got a cool campaign anyway.
0: Yeah. I I would have to second that. Actually, the thing I remember about Burger King, and I think it's because they flame broil their burgers, is it just gets everywhere. So if you walk into a store, it's like it reeks. Your hair and your clothes reek of it just afterwards for forever. So yeah, being hungover, it doesn't sound very appealing, does it?
1: (laughs) No, 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 it does not. (laughs) So, all right. Well, we've got Luna Luna. I've been excited to talk about these guys. So this is a art festival. What what do we call it an art festival? It was an art attraction. And I think they called it back in the day in 1987, the world's first art amusement park. And this was opened in... Hamburg, Germany, and it was only open for seven weeks in 1987, and it had basically a ton of artists, not a ton of artists, about 20 artists come in and collaborate and create different attractions, different art experiences, but then things like carousels and everything else that are all custom art and custom design for this art installation. And I think probably it was intended is this is going to be like an annual thing that maybe just ran for the spring for a period of time. It seems like a lot of work that was intended just for seven weeks for just a pure one single pop-up installation in 1987. But mm-hmm. when they did close down... Like nobody ever heard of it anymore. And then they found just like, I want to say fairly recently came across all of the parks, like uh, attractions and art and everything else were stored in shipping containers in Texas, 44 shipping containers in the middle of Texas forgotten about. And then somebody must've owned the shipping yard or owned the storage facility, found all this stuff. And then the Canadian rapper. So you might know Drake, Christine, well, you may not know him personally, but uh,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they, he invested through his company. uh, He's got a company called dream crew and he invested a hundred million dollars in the rest, a hundred million dollars in the restoration of this park, And he's now set up the, basically it's called Luna world. uh, It's called Luna Luna forgotten fantasy. It's set up as a pop-up in LA Mm -hmm through the spring of this year. And I don't know if this is something, again, that's going to be on a regular basis or if it'll move to a permanent installation or it'll be one of those that just moves from LA to New York to Chicago to Paris or something like that. Don't know that yet, but it's in LA through spring of this year. Definitely want to go and check it out. And here's a little one minute video that shows a little bit about what the park was in 1987. And then like, they just give a little bit of a taste of what it is now. So go ahead and hit on stage and let's watch you. Mm-hmm. Open. yeah that just looks so cool like i cannot wait to see uh, to, to, I, want, I want to go visit for sure so anyway yeah.
0: Yeah, I love these. I love the new combo that we're seeing coming out with all the art installations combined with the entertainment. Obviously, we're seeing a ton of immersive events like we saw the Van Gogh stuff and all those other ones, mm-hmm. but this is kind of taking it to the next level, right? Where you're kind of you're going to a fun place where you can have fun, but it's also a museum and you get to entertain get entertained by art, right? So, it yep. looks like a yeah. cool place to visit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Taylor Swift wasn't the only one adding to the economy last year, believe it or not. (laughs) I know it felt that way, but it wasn't true. The ABBA Voyage, which is a cutting edge digital concert production in London, added 322 million pounds to the local economy over one year last year, which is a crazy amount of money as well. Now, we are going to pull up a picture of the arena and walk you through some pictures of what it looked like. So this arena is so cool. So it's a crafted virtual concert experience and it's made its debut may 2022 and it's going to be running till the end of November this year and this concert experience was quite unique because there was no place to have it in London and they actually created this whole venue for this specific experience it's um uh, it's movable so once the event is over they're going to be able to take it down and move it to someplace else which is kind of neat all right now the concert actually features um, avatars which they dub as Abba and you can see here there's some guys dancing around on the stage um, and it's showing the group as they would have been seen in 1979 which is a long time ago um, anyway the digital version of this group um, they were created using motion capture tech which you can see here you can see the band members all wearing these different suits with sensors on them right now the band spent five weeks in these suits with 160 cameras scanning their body movements as they danced and moved around to their songs Then what happened is younger body doubles were filmed and they they recreated how they would have looked back then by combining the body doubles and the movements from the actual original singers together. Um, They put pre-recorded vocals and all the patterns together to create the final show. So here's a picture of the show on stage and hopefully you can see it. It's a little wide back, but I thought it kind of set the stage well here. So um, here you can see what a night of the show would look like. All the people standing in the crowd in front of it. Um, Along the back here is an actual 2D screen where these images are actually projected with LED uh, screens in the back. And then in the front up here on the left, you can see where an actual true band plays the music while the movie on these LED screens is actually playing. Um, When you stand back, it looks 3D, but if you actually really walked up close to the stage, you'd be disappointed to find out that it's really just a flat 2D image being played. Now, the arena was designed from the inside out, meaning that the show requirements and the audience experience was the core driver for everything. So everything really had to be in specific spots and set up perfectly. Otherwise, you would figure out um, that it wasn't uh, real-ish and it wouldn't look as good as it does. Um, and this, is, this allowed for people to be sitting and standing on the dance floor and kind of dancing around listening to the music, the music which is pretty cool. Um, here's another picture of the stage. And here I think you can kind of get a better sense of what the stage looks like with these LED screens kind of coming down and the lights and the images floating around, right? Um, but the end result... Um, it sounds live, it looks live, and it kind of technically is live, right? So you have the live music playing, and then you have the, uh, not the actors, but the, the videos of the actors kind of dancing around on the screen. So um, it's a little bit smoke and mirrors and giant LEDs, but it's a super fun time. Rolling Stones even said it's groundbreaking, jaw-dropping, it's, um, it has to be seen to believe, be believed. And I think that it potentially is going to be something that we're going to see a lot more of. Um, and it's going to set a new trend for how legacy groups and bands might actually come together to continue performing in the future. Anyway, I would love to go to it if I ever go to London. I think if I ever go to London, there's a gazillion things I'd actually love to go to. <laughs> I don't know about you, but <laughs> it's really the place to be right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And I mean, I the think they're only going to improve on that. We were looking at that hologram technology. I think... The show a couple of a couple of months ago, actually, that looks pretty realistic, and I, I could see adding those holograms up on stage where the characters are actually dancing, but they are three D, you know, instead of just pure two D on a on a you know three D on a two D yeah. screen.
0: That's right. I guess apparently uh, the hologram technology isn't far enough down the road to look realistic enough, and so that's why it's not utilized in the setting yet.
1: Yeah, or. The development, I mean, yeah, the stuff that we looked at, we covered a couple of months ago, I can't remember the name of the company, looks incredibly realistic. I think that just the, it probably was just not in ready in time for the development of this whole concert venue, right. and everything else. So yeah, I think we'll definitely see that happen and, and uh, improve over time. And wouldn't be surprised if we see the Rolling Stones still in concert 30, 40, 50 years from now, but digital.
0: Yeah. Wouldn't that be yeah. something, hey?
1: Yeah, Totally. Totally. Well, one of the things that I wish I would be able to see 30 years from now is Urban Putt in San Francisco. So we talked about Urban Putt not too long ago, I think prior to IAPA, and they opened a new location in San Jose. And they they had one location in San Francisco, they opened a location in San Jose. And it was just announced that Urban Putt is shutting down permanently. Mm -hmm. And holy moly is taking over. But I just wanted to Talk a little bit about Urban Putt because it has like a little sentimental place in my in my life or my heart. Because before I was ever a part of the attractions industry, I've always loved mini golf. I've loved attractions and theme parks and everything else. Like that's always been a love and passion of mine, even if it wasn't officially in the industry. And when I lived in the Bay Area with my family for a couple of years in from 2011 to 2014, Urban Putt opened up. And it was at the time, I'm showing a couple of pictures here. At the time, it was really far ahead of its time as far as both the type it was like a 21 and over venue so you didn't bring kids it was they served cocktails that you could walk around with and they were like elevated cocktails you could walk around with and put basically on these really sophisticated fantastical place like different putting holes where like Cables like pit will like thing will come and grab your thing, lift it to another place, So go up on a spindle and then roll down a track, like all these Rube Goldberg type machines and holes mm-hmm. that do a lot of really cool things. And I'm just really disappointed to hear that they're shutting down and only gonna have their single location in San Jose. So I don't know if that's the process of them moving from from San Francisco to San Jose, or if they couldn't have both locations or I don't, they didn't really go into why they were shutting down, but in their place though, they did announce that the company Holy Moly is taking over. And we've talked about Holy Moly on the show before as well. Their holes are also very unique, but they're unique in the sense that they're more for like selfie culture than they are like unique in the fact that they're really custom and high tech type or or even low tech at some level holes. These are just sort of no tech holes with just a lot of really fancy stuff to like take pictures and hang out with your friends while you're doing a hole. So cool holes, cool concept, you know, it'd be a nice fit still for San Francisco, but uh, is a little bit of a bummer that urban putt is closing, closing down.
0: Yeah, that's sad, (laughs) especially when it's a Childhood memories that you know you remember and um, it's not there anymore. Wait. However,
1: <laughs> I'm not that, I'm not that young. 2011, 2014. It was ten years ago, so definitely not childhood. I was I said there with okay, my family. I enough. met my kids and my wife. Uh, we mm-hmm. lived in the mm-hmm. Bay Area for a few years.
0: <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. But yeah. at least okay. So the place is gone, but at least there's another location open that you can still go to and you know recreate some new yeah. memories, kind of with the same theme and same uh, company.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And San Jose is much easier to get to whenever we do go and visit our friends in the Bay Area. So we'll have to definitely check out the new San Jose urban putt location when that time comes.
0: It looks fun and cool.
1: All right. Well, that wraps up the LBX Daily Show for today. So this is CB and BW signing off. Stay tuned and keep kicking ass.
0: Later, guys.